0: Hi, I'm Dan Vermack, and welcome to Axios Recap's special series on America's Small Business comeback. Today is Tuesday, May 25th. Moderna stock is up on news that its vaccine is safe for adolescents. The weekly vaccine case, though, is down, and we're focused on black-owned small businesses. One year ago today, George Floyd was murdered by Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. It was a gruesome event captured on video, and which sparked widespread protests and the most substantive national conversation on race in America in most of our lifetimes. For Black-owned small businesses, Floyd's murder and everything that followed added new layers of emotional and financial complexity to what was already an extraordinarily challenging year because of the pandemic. Shelley Bell, CEO of Black Girl Ventures, called it a, quote, moment of awakening in which some consumers began buying Black Some investors began making concerted efforts to back Black-owned small businesses, and some big corporations began finally activating on what they've always known to be true, that they could do much, much more. So today, for the second of our six-part series on America's small business comeback, we want to explore what 2020 meant for Black-owned small businesses and where things stand for them in 2021 with Shelly Bell of Black Girl Ventures. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by Shelley Bell of Black Girl Ventures. Shelley, tell me a bit about your organization.
1: Yeah, for sure. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. Black Girl Ventures works to create access to capital for black and brown women founders. We do that with three pillars, capital, community, and capacity. We have a unique pitch competition where women pitch on stage, and then the audience actually votes with their dollars to fund small women-owned businesses, and we grant that capital out to them. So imagine Shark Tank meets Kickstarter.
0: So Shelly, 2020 was obviously a difficult year for all small business owners throughout the country. From your perspective, what specific challenges did black small business owners, and maybe even more specifically, black female small business owners face?
1: A, a, A lot of loss, a lot of loss. The event industry took a turn. And so what we saw publicly is that the the large event industry taking a turn. Well, guess what? The bigger entities, those events actually affect multiple small businesses. So they were missing that. People who would typically go out and vend at these large events were also losing. We saw the makeup, the services industry. So makeup artists who were, you know, this like, I lost two months of customers in one day. We had people like a dance studio who's in our network who eventually uh, had to actually close even after trying to pivot into virtual. So, I mean, doors closing, funding loss, landlords not being willing, necessarily willing to front the bill and therefore people having to close.
0: In the midst of the pandemic still comes George Floyd's murder and the protests and everything that followed with it. There also seemed to be a particular impact on Black-owned small businesses. What impact do you think that period of time had on Black-owned small businesses?
1: I mean, it had a unprecedented impact on Black-owned small businesses. There was a moment of awakening, is what I call it. It was a moment where the country's consciousness whether no matter what side of the argument you were on was raised to a level that it hadn't been in a while, maybe even since the murder of Emmett Till. I mean, watching George Floyd's murder happen was people saying, no matter what this person did, they didn't deserve that. And the response and reaction to that from corporations, individuals, was to activate their capital Activate their networks and activate on what they could do to jump in to help Black owned businesses and Black people in general. And as black Ventures, we saw we were getting calls from everywhere. We literally were on calls from like 7 in the morning to sometimes 10 at night covering the West Coast, right, of people contacting us saying, we want to help, we want to do something. I also give you a numbers perspective on this from a business standpoint. For Black Girl Ventures, our operating budget went from about 250 k to like $3.7 million in a year because of the support this support allowed us to serve more people across the country, so we almost tripled the amount of people we were able to serve. The amount of people we were able to reach went through the roof. We were now reaching up to 8 to 10 million people in the course of like a three to six month period. We saw people buying black. I, had, I have a friend who's a uh, who's an author, and she's like, the print... Company could not print enough books for the amount that people were buying to learn about race dynamics, race relations, to understand other people and communities. I think, you know, the thing is, buying black is great, and we needed that. We also needed supplier diversity. And that is the area that I'm seeing people reach out to us about now. And that is the place that I'm hopeful because getting you a customer is one thing, but getting you a bigger customer really levels up your business.
0: You were on Recap last August talking about how that support had sustained itself throughout the summer. Is it still there now?
1: Absolutely. It has. And so people ask me a lot in interviews, like, do you think it was just altruism? Like, do you think people were just like trying to make a move? And maybe some people were, maybe some corporations were. What I am seeing, the people who came to us, the partners that came to us, Warby Parker, Visa, Vogue, Co., Nike, Kroger. Like these partners that came to us have been really diligent in in our partnership and us working together in collaboration. And we're holding them accountable too.
0: What do you think that the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement revealed to the country about structural inequities when it comes to underrepresented small businesses?
1: The storytelling around what happened with people not getting access to the PPP and getting an understanding of like, oh, we can't just throw money out there and that's going to be the solve, right? The stories that we heard from our end in our network is that the relationships that you needed to navigate the application process were important. And the fact that they were missing was exacerbated. So people had banking relationships, but not banker relationships relationships. So the, the PPP went out and the banks were responsible for handling it. And some of the larger banks, quite frankly, did not do the best job of having call centers available, answering questions for people who didn't understand certain things that were on the application. The narrative that came out though is one that I want to push back on, which was, oh, these small businesses don't have accountants and they don't have this, they're not keeping good books. And like, it's like you you know, putting all of that responsibility back on a small business when the application and the application process could have been a lot simple. On the other end being like, if we are going to throw money out there, then what does that money need to look like? Where does that money need to go? And how do we need to invest in the small businesses? Because now I could potentially create the demand that says you, you can go out and afford a bigger supply then all the systems have to work, right? Because of of COVID and the quarantine, a lot of the overseas shipping was slowed down. So people have to maintain grace as well. So I think it just, it showed people that like the parts of the system that we never get to see. Because I think historically, we've seen people kind of throw money at a lot of these challenges and say, well, somebody's giving money to it. It should just be fixed. And the reality is like, but there's so many parts to that, right? So it wasn't just Black-owned businesses that had problems accessing capital, like white-owned businesses also had problems accessing capital, right? Like I said, maybe for the first time in a while, we are all together experiencing small business challenges in a way where the public is like, oh, okay, now I can see the layers of business.
0: How many companies within the Black Girl Ventures Network had to either close down permanently or at least suspend operations during the pandemic?
1: As of right now, from what we have tracked, um, we funded 130 women business owners. But in our total network, we have somewhere around 30,000 women in our total network. We are seeing like somewhere around 10 to 20% that have actually had to like shut down completely. On the other hand, though, we're seeing the majority of them who had to close their doors, pivot. The person who was doing the makeup services is now doing makeup products. The person who had the brick and mortar clothing store in the neighborhood is now allowing other people to ship from their store moving into logistics. So we're seeing people pivot in a way where it's like, how can I get a bigger customer and a more sustainable customer? We've seen people invest in ads more than ever, take chances on ads more than ever to get out of their kind of sphere of customers that they had already to break into new markets. So we're seeing the pivot.
0: What are you seeing in terms of entrepreneurs, maybe new entrepreneurs who want to open new businesses as the pandemic recedes?
1: You know, that's so interesting because, like, we had people pitch that said, oh, I launched in uh, February of 2020. Oh, I launched in June of 2020. And they're thriving because they've been able to create a brand and really get in front of this audience who's sitting at home looking for things to buy. You know, it's like if you're not innovating, you're hesitating. So there was a huge opportunity to capture people's attention while we all were quarantined. We all were at home. We all got used to using Zoom. We all, you know, are like scrolling through our timelines. So we saw people get in front of that crowd and really start selling and making capital.
0: What about the small business experience do you think has changed permanently because of the pandemic?
1: I do not think we will be interacting in person the same ever again, honestly. I see the the vaccine is rolling in and people are getting a little bit more comfortable. I still think in the back of our minds, we're still kind of like, mm. <laughs> you got a vaccination card or are you just not wearing a mask? Our trust for each other around like hand washing. I don't think restaurants will operate the same ever again in terms of like delivery of food. I think we realized that actually we were being really unsafe a lot of the time. Therefore, I think we're going to see a new industry arise, a new industry of cleaning. I also think we're going to see some social media therapy and some kind of tap out rooms of like, here's the place where you don't bring your phone and your computer. You come in here and you color on the walls. Like I think we're going to see more of the that for self-care.
0: Shelly, similar and final question for you. What will never be the same in America because of the racial reckoning we experienced last year?
1: So, you know, I'm going to give a very real answer to this this question. As Black people, and again, I can't speak for all Black people, but the conversations I have with, with you know, people around me, I don't know that we think it will be different. It's like, this is a moment, y'all. Get in. <laughs> Because, you know, black is cool right now. You know, black is cool for another couple years. There were people who really, I mean, and, and including me, who were skeptical as to whether or not Derek Shovin was even going to get convicted. Because the trauma and nature of black life in America says, oh, yeah, that's just temporary. We helped y'all out a little bit, that's not sustainable. Like you will go back to being invisible. The police are still, um, you know, harassing and killing people. So that has not stopped. You will go back to a place of of where people don't understand anymore. Oh, that's going to return. Like that is a trauma that we carry, because that's historically been the case. If you look at the course of history, there has been several moments of the perception of other people on Black life has been blown up. And in a way for people to take note. And then the consciousness is temporary because systems are in place. Like racism is systematic. The police force against black people is like it's, it's systematic. And so, as long until we really dig up and talk through like what it means to change a system, I'm afraid that the boom in consciousness may or may not last. I'm a serial optimist, Daniel, so I'm hopeful. I am hopeful, and and honestly, for me, all I can think about right now, as a black woman CEO of a multi-million dollar nonprofit, is to run through that door, help prop it open for other black black woman business owners, and say, "Come on, y'all! I don't know what's gonna happen next, but what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna double down on what we know we can do, the receipts we know we can produce, and we're gonna take our families to the next level. This is about our families, like." I'm starting this to leave a legacy for not just my family, but for families across the board, other black and brown families across the country and the world at some point to say, like, I can create an asset that can then change society, uh, change the the trajectory of my family.
0: Shelly Bell, CEO of Black Girl Ventures. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Welcome back. For this week of special episodes, we wanted to close with quick conversations with people from iconic American small businesses. You know, the sorts of place that you just have to visit if you're coming in from out of town and which people in town still view with pride. Today, that business is Pat's King of Steaks, the legendary cheesesteak spot on South Street in Philadelphia. I spoke with owner Frank Olivieri. Frank, is there one anecdote or story that you think captures your business's pandemic experience?
2: Yeah, actually there is. So my new wife, Nancy, um, forced me a couple of years ago to um, get involved in goldbelly.com, which um, you can get food items delivered from anywhere in the country, your favorite stuff. And I was adamantly against it because we never wanted to ship. So we started doing it and we were doing maybe like 100 orders a week. But at the height of the pandemic last year, last like, you know, March this time last year, we were probably selling close to 9,500 sandwiches a week. So that was our saving grace, shipping Pat's steaks, Pat's cheesesteaks, Philly totally cheesesteaks all over the country. You said that was your
0: saving grace. Give me a sense on how the pandemic impacted Pat's.
2: We rely heavily on concerts, sporting venues and stuff like that. And nightclubs, of course, at night, because we're a 24-hour-a-day business, open seven days a week, 24 hours a day. So at night, literally, there was no one on the streets. So that cut our business down dramatically, probably close to 65%. So we relied heavily on local delivery through uh, venues like DoorDash and Uber Eats and Caviar and Grubhub. But we also kind of leaned on goldbelly.com. So I couldn't reinvent the cheesesteak, but I can reinvent how you got it into your mouth. (laughs) Can I ask about that? Because I'm just fascinated by it. How do you ship a cheesesteak without
0: having it just be disgusting when it gets to the customer?
2: So we did a lot of R and D on it. What we did is we do is we manufacture, we put together the sandwich itself and then we put a, a quick, uh, light freeze on it. So if the sandwiches, sandwiches ship on Tuesday, we make the sandwiches Monday, Monday night, freeze them and then pack them into a, a box that has a liner and wet packs. And they are picked up at four o'clock in the afternoon, Monday and delivered to your doorstep, like by eight thirty in the morning, Tuesday. How far along would you say Pats is in its recovery from the depths of the pandemic? We are probably 95% back to where we were now that uh, sporting venues are opening soon-to-be concerts, but people are back on the streets, so we're almost there.
0: Is there anything from the past year and a half that you think has permanently changed about Pats?
2: By and large, I think business owners are more acutely aware of product and product cost and employees and employee wages and treatment of employees to keep employees because right now we're going through a, like almost like an employee desert of you know, not having enough employees or employees that are willing to come back to work for that matter.
0: Thank you to Frank Olivieri. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Naomi Shaven, Sabina Sangani, and Alex Ugiara. Please be sure to leave us a review. And if you're not already subscribing or following the podcast, do so. Have a great national wine day, any kind of wine. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.